Don't miss ACEC's next private market symposium on the commercial and residential real estate market taking place in Scottsdale, Arizona on March 3rd and 4th. Register today to meet leaders in business, land development, engineering, and construction to network and discuss the hot-button issues surrounding this growing market. What does the post-COVID office market look like? How will growth in the industrial distribution market meet the growing demand for e-commerce? How will demographics shape suburban growth? These questions and more will be covered at the event. Act now, space is limited. Go to acec.org to register. Welcome to Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. Today, I am very pleased to be bringing you two members of Congress who were instrumental in helping get the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act across the finish line. Congressman Don Bacon, representing Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District, and Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick, representing Pennsylvania's 1st Congressional District, join us today on the show. As a matter of introduction, uh, Congressman Bacon was elected in 2016 and represents Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. Now, prior to serving in the House, uh, Congressman Bacon served as an officer in the Air Force, specializing in electronic warfare, intelligence, and reconnaissance. He served 16 assignments with the Air Force, including four deployments in the Middle East, including Operation Iraqi Freedom. He retired at the rank of Brigadier General and currently serves on the House Armed Services Committee and the House Agricultural Committee. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick represents Pennsylvania's 1st Congressional District, and prior to his election, he served as both an FBI special agent and as a federal prosecutor, fighting both domestic and international political corruption and supporting global counterterrorism and counterintelligence efforts, including being embedded with U.S. Special Forces as part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. In the 117th Congress, Brian was elected co-chair of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus, having previously served as the vice chair. He is the ranking member on the House Foreign Affairs Subcommittee on Europe, Energy, the Environment, and Cyber, and was appointed to by House leadership to currently serve on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and as a commissioner on the Commission on Security and Cooperation in Europe, also known as the U.S. Helsinki Commission. Additionally, Congressman Fitzpatrick serves on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, a committee near and dear to our hearts. Thank you both for joining us today. Um, so I'd like to kind of start off, I, Congressman Bacon first, and then, then Congressman Fitzpatrick. You know, for our audience who isn't um, very well acquainted with Nebraska or Pennsylvania, can you tell us a little bit about your districts? Well, my district is Omaha in the suburbs. So we have about 700,000 and about a county and a half. Uh, but it's really Omaha suburbs, and the next cycle with, with redistricting, I'll, I'll gain another county. Uh, but it's a you know it's an urban suburban community. It's mm -hmm. one of the most purple districts in the country, officially R plus one. Uh, it's a railroad junction, uh, interstate uh, junction, so it's a very infrastructure, uh, you know, uh, intensive. Yeah, and Congressman Fitzpatrick, I have to I have to admit full transparency, I am. Uh, from Doylestown, Pennsylvania. So I am, oh, wow. uh, I am Bucks County all the way, which is your, of course, the first, I, I, I remember it fondly as the eighth congressional district, but tell us yeah. a little bit about the first. I know you're familiar with the, uh, I didn't know you were in Doylestown, but I knew yeah. you're familiar with the area. Jeff. Yeah. So, um, uh, the first district is the Philly suburbs. So it's all of Bucks County, which is, uh, the county just to the North 
of the city line of Philadelphia. It, um, the southern part of my district borders the city line of Philadelphia. Uh, and the entire east side of my district borders the river uh, crossing over into New Jersey. And then I have about 12% of my district is the adjacent county to my west, Montgomery County. So I have sort of the central part that's adjacent to Bucks County um, over there. Uh, and like Don, you know, we have about 740,000 constituents or so. Uh, we're actually losing a district in Pennsylvania going from 18 to 17. So my district will grow by about another 40,000 voters. You think you're going to grow west or north? You know what? There's um, there's two maps. The House came out with a map that has me um, just expanding my Montgomery County piece. The Senate, uh, state Senate, came out with a map that has me picking up Northeast Philadelphia uh, and also a northwestern part of Montgomery County. Okay. So two very different districts. But two districts that rely heavily on our infrastructure in the built environment. For sure, um, for sure. You, you know, one of the things that I think is is important to note here, and, I, and, I, and we hear it from our members, because I think that the way that this bill came to the floor and the way that House leadership decided to tie the president's larger agenda together was to kind of tie the infrastructure plan to build back better. And there's some misinformation out there that this is build back better. And it's not, this is a separate bill. This is hard infrastructure funding. Um, that's both reauthorized funding and additional funding above that. Um, there's some misunderstandings about the bill. You know, what, what are the things you're hearing from your constituents that you, know, you really wanna clarify or, or misconceptions that you'd like to dispel? I'll, I'll start off. Um... So initially, and I think Brian and I both had this, we heard probably about 90% of our criticisms was that it was the Build Back Better bill. So folks would say, hey, this bill passed, you know, amnesty for 11 million adults. Uh, you voted to support uh, removing the Hyde Amendment and all the things that are in the Build Back Better bill. And I think we've done a pretty good job po uh, poking that down. Another one we, we heard is only 10% of the bill is hard infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And that is not true. In fact, I've gone through it. I would say 94% of that bill is hard infrastructure. The rest of it's doing toxic site cleanup on federal lands, which is also needed, uh, by the way. And so, those are, and then I, we also heard this is a victory for Joe Biden. And I think it's a victory for our country. Uh, and it could have been a victory for Republicans if our leadership would have responded uh, more smartly, just to be blunt about it. And I think the other area, which is more legitimate, is just worries about the deficit. And that, that's a, a legitimate area that we could go into. And I have some perspectives on it, but those are the main areas of criticisms. But early on, it was all Build Back Better. And there are two totally separate bills, which Brian and I both opposed. And in fact, Build Back Better has not passed yet out of the Senate. And it's going to be probably greatly changed by the time it does. Mm -hmm. Congressman, uh, what are you hearing from uh, your residents in Pennsylvania? Yeah. You know, not surprisingly, you know, all of us kind of heard the same thing. Don spelled it out perfectly. Uh, people confused and conflating the two different bills, which are two separate and distinct bills. How anybody could argue them linked is beyond me. We voted for, uh, uh, first of all, the, the Senate passed it on August 10th. Um, House leadership refused to put it on the floor because they weren't linking them. They were holding one hostage for another. And that's very different. Um, but it passed and it's now signed into law. And the Build Back Better program's fate remains very uncertain at best. 
So, and it has not been voted on, has not been signed into law. A version was voted on in the House, which is dead on arrival in the Senate. That was more or less a messaging bill because reconciliation has to start in the House. So they just sent basically something over there to start the volley. Uh, but these bills are not linked. Uh, in fact, I would submit to you, Jeff, that, and you know, you don't need to take my word for this, the, the moderate senator, uh, Democrat senators who are going to be outcome determinative in what, if any, passes the Senate with regard to reconciliation have told us that the passage of this bill actually will, worst case, lower the price tag significantly of the reconciliation bill, if not um, obliterate it altogether. So that's the reality. And yet we were, the, the people, there were, there were so many people, and Don knows this, so many people that wanted to vote for this. Mm-hmm. The reason they didn't was because the politics wouldn't let them. Yeah. And myself and Don and so, you know, many of our other colleagues refused to allow politics to dictate how we vote. Mm-hmm. The easy thing to do would be to vote no and just go, you know, rah, you know, rah, rah, go party, right? I mean, that's not what we're about. We're about, we came here to help our country. And Don is absolutely right. If this would have been played the right way, this could have been a, a, a bipartisan victory altogether, you know? And, but you can't make policy decisions based on who wins or loses politically. It's gotta be about whether America wins or loses. And if, if that bill came up tomorrow, I'd vote the same way with the same vigor. Good policy is good politics. And we should, our guys should have thought about that. I think in August, our team could have said, we want this bill on the floor right now. And we could have made it, we could have turned it into our, our advantage, uh, but we uh, sort of seeded that. Uh, but in the end, you know, infrastructure is needed for our GDP, exports, national security, per, you know, public safety. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, uh, Jeff, we haven't had a major investment in infrastructure in 40 years. And I'm the party of Lincoln. Also, the party of the Transcontinental Railroad and the party of Eisenhower, who did the interstate system, and we should have embraced this. That and that's that's a, a an important point to make. I mean, largely infrastructure investment has been a Republican core issue. Um, that's both constitutional, uh, right there. Uh, remember, you know, it's a. I haven't been in the in the committee room in a while, but when I was, you know, on TNI staff, we had that up there on the right side of the room. We're, we're in the Constitution on post roads, you know, the, the constitutional uh, uh, underpinning for uh, federal investment in infrastructure. And you're right, um, you know, between the uh, interstate highway system and the like, I mean, that's a, it's a core issue. Uh, and it was unfortunate to see it uh, kind of tied into this. And Jeff, I, you hear a lot about the, the talk of the big lie that people say. I, I say the big lie, the, the, the big lie of this month was that only 11% of the infrastructure bill was real infrastructure. Yeah, that is a provably false statement. Why anybody would say that? Shame on them. Yeah, it's, right, it's, off, right it's, off the bat, Jeff. Half of the bill, right off the bat, before we even get into the new parts of the bill, half of this bill was a standard five-year surface transportation reauthorization, which sails through Congress. It last passed Congress in 2016 uh, when the the the, uh, the GOP held the chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, this has never been controversial, and the the 550 billion dollar supplemental does so by recapturing unused COVID relief money, recapturing unused state unemployment insurance augmentation, that additional $300 a week that a lot of the state governors return. And it doesn't open the tax code up at all. And just just by comparison, Jeff, we're talking about $550 billion additional over five years. Mm -hmm. China, last year alone, spent $3.7 trillion in infrastructure outside of China, outside of their country, as part of the Belt and Road Initiative. So no matter how you want to slice this, if you, I mean, 
we should all be focused in on, on the, the China issue, mm-hmm. then look at it that way as well, because this is an yeah. investment in the nuts and bolts of our country. Yeah, you look you look at the numbers. I mean, let's take Nebraska, for example. I mean, what you have are, are, are you know, in the state, you have over 1,300 bridges and over 1,100 miles of highway in poor condition. Um, you have commuting times going up across the country, Pennsylvania and Nebraska alike. Um, you have money that's going to go specifically to improve service infrastructure that's going to improve people's lives, make it easier for economic development, open corridors for development, job opportunities and growth. I mean, in our sector alone, we're looking at about 82,000 direct employment, new jobs that will be created and all the tax base that comes from that. Um, if we don't invest in our service infrastructure, we're, com- we're pretty much shooting ourselves in the foot from a global competitive standpoint. Um, you know, that's, that's during your dis- discussions with your members and Congressman Fitzpatrick, I know you're part of the Problem Solvers Caucus and, and, and you know, you look at the issues. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, was that resonant? Did that resonate? I mean, there was an understanding that this does actually create, you know, jobs and opportunity. I'll jump in. Yeah. Absolutely. So in, in our district, of course, we have some of the largest trucking companies in the country right there. We also have the largest railroad company, Union Pacific. Yeah. So in other words, roads, bridges, railroads, very important. Of course, so we have you know the stuff for airports is also mm-hmm. uh, there. But I would also suggest that even the things that are part of Nebraska are still important for Nebraska. Ports oh, and yeah. locks are very important for agriculture exports. We're one of the leading uh, exports for agriculture. Nebraska is like we're the largest exporter of beef out of all 50 states. It's very important to have good ports and locks for the agriculture sector. So I would just say for our country, that was there. So if I, as I look back, every major industry in Omaha supported this bill. Mm-hmm. And I'll just give the Farm Bureau, very much a support, the cattlemen, of course you had the chamber, all the building trades uh, were there. So it's interesting to have unions and chamber all together on this on this bill. The manufacturers were for it, the equipment operators or, or the equipment distributors. I go through every major industry there and they were supportive of this, but all of them, for the most part, maybe with one or two exceptions, opposed the Build Back, Build Back Better bill. Uh, so the, the business leaders and the economic folks and, and the labor folks knew the importance of this bill uh, for Nebraska and what it, what it means, mm-hmm. uh, surely. And I mentioned to our leadership, you're asking us to oppose a bill that every major industry supports. And I took two polls, both around 70% of the citizens supported it. I said, we're on the wrong side of this issue. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, even the issue, the, the, the funding that's not directly to build roads or to build, you know, the, the restore bridges. But when you talk about investing in a resiliency and resilient infrastructure, um, those are things that also pay dividends, um, you know, into the future. Um, I know anecdotally, you know, you have uh, high rain events up in New York and it floods to Delaware and it goes down to Delaware and, 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 and the uh, eastern portion of Bucks County floods. Uh, you have uh, other issues, I'm sure, Congressman Bacon, that you, you uh, uh, experience in, in Nebraska as well. If we're able to make our infrastructure, not only our service infrastructure, but our communications and our uh, electrical distribution systems more resilient, uh, of course, resilient to not just uh, uh, weather events, but also cybersecurity and the like, we're gonna be 
more secure as a right. country. And Nebraska's rated 48th on rural broadband. Mm-hmm. So we'll benefit there. We have a lot of level pipes. So the, the tricking water infrastructure uh, part was also very important. And so literally all, all these aspects of the bill are very important to Nebraska. Yeah, I think you're going to, Nebraska uh, in total is going to get a, an allocation of $100 million for rural broadband. Um, that's a significant investment, especially now post-COVID, you know, um, just, it, it's not a luxury anymore. It's, it's a requirement for not just education, but for just economic development. Um, and, and that's critically important. Pennsylvania, uh, around the same line, it's about um, 100 million for broadband coverage across the state. Uh, there are about 394,000 Pennsylvanians who lack access to broadband. Uh, so connecting those people is going to be critically important. Um, Congressman Fitzpatrick, I'll start with you. Is there a, a project in the district that you think or an area that you would really like to see improved uh, transportation-wise for your constituents? Where do we begin, uh, Jeff? You know our region. I mean, the Northeast Corridor has um, the, the most infrastructure, uh, the largest infrastructure, and also the oldest infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, we're heavily reliant on, on rail, on bridges, on tunnels, on ports. Um, so certainly there's all of that. Uh, obviously, I-95 runs through our district. State routes like 611 run through our district. Um, but, you know, one that not many people realize, you know, both me and my brother before me, as you're well aware, Jeff, you know, we're very, very focused on the PFAS issue. Yes. Uh, there is a big PFAS remediation component to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a huge issue for the central part of our district, uh, the area in and around of uh, the Willow Grove Naval Air Station. Absolutely. Um, where you had these uh, uh, AFFF firefighting foams that have PFAS and PFOA in it that have just wreaked havoc on the, on the, the water supplies so many people in that region, a big part of this bill finally, finally addresses PFAS remediation, um, which was the big component of that problem. So the central part of our district is going to benefit tremendously from this. That's, yeah, it's been an issue for decades. And yep. finally, having that addressed is a, is a significant real-life community improvement that's going to impact people's lives uh, without question. Congressman Bacon, uh, for your constituents, uh, what do you see? Well, there's... For our constituents, you're going, to, you're going to see benefits in the, you know, primarily roads and bridges. Like you already said, we have 1,300 bridges mm-hmm. uh, that are in Nebraska, but some of those are right there around Omaha. So the roads, bridges, the rail, uh, airport funding is all going to have a direct impact. And of course, the rest of Nebraska, the rural broadband will be there. We have a lot of lead pipes in Omaha that mm-hmm. we have to switch out. So there's $200 million uh, to, sw- to replace the lead pipe for drinking water. And that's also going to be a uh, a big deal for uh, our, our district there. But as I already mentioned, I think more broadly, uh, the ports and locks, they're not connected to Nebraska, but boy, they're surely, surely connected to our economy. And uh, so this is a, and I, I got to give a lot of our folks back home uh, this little bit of tidbit on locks. Our locks are 80 to 90 years old. They're a third of the size of Brazil's that they're putting in right now. And we can grow corn and soybeans, beef and pork, more affordable than anybody else in the world. But if you can't ship it and get it to the right place for exports at a, a, at a competitive price, well, you're going to lose that competitive advantage. And if we want to, so if you want to lead the world in exports in these areas, uh, our logistics have to be updated. And so I think, I think more broadly than just what's being put in our, our district, it's our mm-hmm. economy as a whole that's impacted. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point that you raise. We just at the beginning of the month had a, a, a symposium down in Charleston on uh, intermodal and logistics and the and essentially dealing with all the supply chain pressures that we're having and 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 we're experiencing now the point you raise is, is a good one that it, people kind of for, think of ports you know as as okay you got long beach you got charleston and you have you know a couple of, of seaside ports but no you have your inland ports you have the the, the the importance of having a strong logistics system to actually move goods to market so that farmers in nebraska can uh export out from uh, areas on the East Coast is critically important. And, and it helps keep America competitive and especially, you know, competitive on a, on a, a fairly uh, comp competitive global agriculture market. Um, Congressman Fitzpatrick, I mean, you're, you're a member of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. Um, you know, this was, of course, you know, a, a major uh, uh, accomplishment on, on, on that side of the committee's jurisdiction. Uh, coming up, I, I believe um, the, the committee might be considering another Water Resources Development Act bill. Um, you know, what do you see coming up from the committee? Yeah, water is um, something that they wanted to take on separately for a whole host of reasons. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't know where that's going to stand now that we, you know, just passed a major infrastructure rebuild um, if this is going to be what's next for them or not. I just know from the Congress on the whole, um, you know, obviously there, there are some other things that they're focused on right now. I can tell you our problem solvers are very, very focused on issues regarding uh, the Communist Chinese Party, issues re regarding the semiconductor industry, which is incredibly important. Uh, Jeff, if we fall behind uh, in that industry, we got major problems going forward. Whoever owns that semiconductor industry uh, is going to own the future. Um, and it's not just with regard to jobs, it's regarding literally everything we use is now computerized and digitalized, including vehicles, including everything. And we used to produce, you know, 35, 40% of the world's semiconductor supply. We're now at 12%. Europe is at 8%. Uh, Asia is, you know, 70%. And of that 70%, 30% is in Taiwan. Um, so that's obviously one of the many reasons why we got to keep our eye on that situation over there. But we met, our, our caucus met with Pat Geisinger, the uh, CEO of Intel, uh, a, a great domestic semiconductor uh, producer and manufacturer. And he's begging us uh, to just allow them to be competitive in this country, uh, both through our tax code, our regulatory code, and things like the CHIPS Act, where we're going to infuse and invest in that industry, given how important it is to our future. So that's what I see as coming up next. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, there is, it all in my mind, at least, you know, there's always an infrastructure angle because if you're actually able to create a, uh, a, a you know, when when we used to say <clears throat> when I was with uh, Congressman Schuster back in the ninth district of Pennsylvania, right in the center of the county, is that you can't, you know, you, you don't get economic development unless you can flush a toilet. You don't get, you're not going to attract a manufacturing base unless there is the infrastructure, the surface infrastructure to actually not only get employees there, but to get distribution um there and that attracts it so if we're able to build out and 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 make it easier for goods to get the market we might be able to attract more domestic manufacturing and, and have that stay in the united states but you're right you know tied to that is a favorable regulatory and tax environment um congressman bacon what do you see coming up as the uh what do you see coming up next on the infrastructure front uh, I'll, I'll defer to brian on that being that he's on that right committee uh for me uh, 
I have a lot of infrastructure in the Hask that we have to continue working on. We have five bases that were destroyed through hurricanes or floods or earthquakes. So we're continuing to try to get these five bases back up to speed. So that's our military infrastructure mm -hmm. uh, there. But, uh, you know, right now, if you look at what we did with this bill, and I've looked at some studies, I think we only bought about half of what we needed to do, mm -hmm. but it's a good half. So we're going to work a half, and it's going to take four or five years to get this money spent. But we got to realize we only paid off about half of what it's going to take to get our infrastructure back up to speed. And one of the studies I was looking at, and so we have to be candid there. And Brian touched on this before. Right now, our spending is 2% of the GDP goes to infrastructure. Uh, Europe is 5%. Yeah. And China's 9%. And so there's, we, I think we have to reevaluate how we're going to do this over the long haul. We, you know, it shouldn't just be a, a 40 year bill. Okay, now we're catch up. And then this, I think we probably need to readjust our baseline for what we need to be doing for infrastructure. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't pay to, you know, if you look back over 40 years, for the first 20, we were sort of hanging even. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the last 20, the, the gas tax is not yeah. kept up with the costs. Mm -hmm. uh, inflation has eroded the gas tax revenues, uh, but the roads have gotten more costly to, to fix. Mm -hmm. And so we the last 20 years, we've really fallen behind pretty quickly. And so I think we got to reevaluate. What do we want to do to keep up with our infrastructure? Uh, we shouldn't just have to put duct tape on it and fix it, but let's find a way to sustain it. Yeah. Absolutely. And then the growth of electron of the electric car market. Um, of course, that doesn't directly pay into the user fee. Um, and you have to look at different innovative financing tools to do that. So, um, yeah, I, yeah our, I think, gas, our gas per, or mile per gallon used to be 15 miles a gallon yeah, or something. Yeah. Now we're doing a lot of cars are doing with the hybrids. It's double or triple. Yeah. And so we're, we're bringing just a lot less gas revenue. And you're right. And you start talking electrical cars, they're not paying in at all. And our, our roads and highways, in the meantime, are taking a beating and our, and our bridges. So we got to figure out how to fix it. Well, the good thing is we have got uh, two good members of Congress who are going to be working at actually problem, you know, doing the problem solving and moving good policy forward. Uh, and, and for that, we, we, we do appreciate both of your, uh, your leadership. Brian's our fearless leader on the problem solvers. <laughs> he's Mr. Chairman. Well, it's, it's, it's good Don, to see. Don's our fearless leader on Main Street. <laughs> Well, it, it's nice because, you know, we hear so much about discord and disagreement in Congress. Um, but, you know, there are members who are focused on tackling the problems that we face and creating solutions. And I think that what you mentioned at the outset that, you know, this is, this, this is good policy like this should carry a lot of other members to support it. So, um, you know, your leadership is, is, is a welcome thing these days. I sort of enjoy, uh, if you read about Abraham Lincoln, he was a big follower of Henry Clay. And Henry Clay wanted the American system, and it was really focused on, on waterways and roads. Mm -hmm. And they took a lot of heat from the other party uh, because that's, and so I've, I sort of, if you look at the arguments back then, they're, they're almost the same. Yeah. <laughs> but we need, we, we, our country needs to be tied together well. And, and again, it's all about interstate commerce. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I, I do appreciate your time today. Um, I know it's it's getting close to the, the Christmas season and everybody's trying to get their last things done and votes in. Um, but I do appreciate it. Thank you very much for uh, supporting the legislation, of course. Our engineering industry uh, 
is very interested in getting to work on delivering on the, the funding that's been passed in the bill. And uh, I do appreciate both of your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much. And again, this has been Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. We'll see you real soon. Thank you.